What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's podcast is a special one because I was able to sit down with Super Agent Rich Paul last week for more than an hour. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, Rich Paul has one of the most unique stories in professional sports today. Raised in a one-bedroom apartment above his dad's corner store in Cleveland, Ohio, Rich Paul had a very rough childhood. He was frequently seeing rolling dice in the park or selling individual cigarettes on the corner. And after his dad died of cancer when Paul was just 18 years old, those dice games and cigarette sales turned into illegal drugs. But fast forward to today, Rich Paul's life looks very different. Paul is the founder and CEO of Clutch Sports Group, one of the world's biggest sports agencies. He has hundreds of clients across the NBA and NFL, including LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Jalen Hurts. And he has negotiated more than $4 billion in contracts. So how did Rich Paul do it? Why do traditional sports agents hate his approach? What role does LeBron James play in his career? How does he keep getting his clients into better situations with more money? What's his opinion on athletes sending deals without representation? Well, like I said, I sat down with Rich Paul for more than an hour last week, and we discussed all of that. We also talked about his new book coming out this week, and you can listen to the entire conversation right here. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, so let's get right into it. All right, Rich, thanks so much for doing this. For those of you who don't know Rich Paul, I'm assuming most of you probably do at this point, he's the founder of Clutch Sports Group, one of the biggest sports agencies in the world. They have more than 200 clients, a bunch of people you've probably heard of, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Jalen Hurts, across NFL, NBA, WNBA, a bunch of other sports too. Rich has negotiated over $3 billion in contracts. He also started a sportswear brand called Clutch Athletics with New Balance. He's on the board of a bunch of different companies. And he's someone that I am super excited to talk to about today. He has a new book coming out, a memoir called Lucky Me. It'll be out by the time this podcast goes live. But Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. I know we, we've talked over the last couple of years just via social media and trying to find a place to land and do this. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to make it work out. Yes, me too. Me too. A long time coming. All right. So I want to talk about a bunch of different stuff today. You know, part of me feels like the story leading up to how you started Clutch and all of that has been almost overtold to some degree, right? Like I think most people understand who you are, how you got started in this business, the steps that you took to get there. So maybe the most logical place to start with is, is just like a, a breakdown on sports agencies in general and Clutch specifically. Like most people understand that, you know, you guys represent the athletes, you negotiate the contracts, you get a percentage of, uh, of a commission on what they make. But what do like the average sports fans not understand about the sports agency business? Yeah, I, I think they probably, the average probably don't understand the workload, right? I think they see, especially if they're seeing me, they see, you know, you're sitting courtside at games, uh, they see you interacting with talent, but they don't really understand the workload. And unfortunately, that spills over into our business and its perception as a whole. And what that causes is it causes for everyone to feel as if they can do your job. And then our business is unlike any business. Well, I can't say any business, sports entertainment business, especially when you're dealing with talent. Oftentimes, it could be a very thankless job if you let it. And I think that when you're dealing with individual talent, it's an even tougher hill to climb because not everybody's going to appreciate your expertise. They're not going to value it. And I think that unlike if 
if I was to be a coder at Google, it's a different dynamic, right? My pay isn't public or Google's pay, obviously it's a public company now, but we don't know what the executives at Google, what they bring in or whatnot. So everyone knows what the players make. And then there's this misunderstanding of the athlete and feeling like the athlete has to do everything for everyone. And that's unfair to them. And that kind of spills over to the agent because you're looked at as someone who's actually making money alongside of the athlete. And then people want to cut your legs out. And so it's just like, it's a tough business to be in. I don't think people understand the workload of it. And then when you talk about just its atmosphere, there's very few agents that I personally respect in the business because just from an integrity perspective, you know, this is the one business where there are no consequences for doing very unethical things, where at least it wasn't before. Like, what's an example? I don't want you to name names or anything like that. But like, when people hear unethical, they think like bribes, they think like loans, they think of like giving athletes things in return for services. No, the unethical aspect of it is just it's a bunch of lies being told. It's not all their fault, but there's a pretending if you're going to do something, do it out front, you know, just be on it to go to families and players and manipulate things. And we're, we're living in a world now where everybody's just, you know, lessening their their pay of their work practice. Right. So it's like, you know, you're saturating the business, the work practice. And this is stuff that's been going on for a while. The bigger agencies has started doing it first because it was valid. Right. And so they. They started going to the players and, and we'll charge you 1%. Mm-hmm. This is in football. Basketball was a little different. And it was it was all value, right? It was all value-based and also enterprise value-based. And I don't think people understand what enterprise value actually means to a company that's bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars as a whole. So if sports is a small sector of that overall company, yeah, they, they you know they're gonna they're gonna charge less for the for the top guys, make the middle guys and the bottom tier guys actually actually pay all in the perception of we're powerful, right? And this is what's been going on, and it's been fed on the ego of the athlete. And so these young men have been trained mentally all the way up to the point of becoming pro that the better player I am the more people would do for me for free. And that really is setting them up for failure because Joe, as you know, and I see you put things out all the time when you talk about companies and how they were developed and how they were made and sold and all these different things, people see the headline, but they skip over how that company was built, what made it work, why that multiple was what it was. You know, how they position themselves throughout the years. You know, I love to watch the History Channel. And the other day I was watching Food That Built America. And they had the brothers that started Nabisco and they start packaging cookies. And then Oreo became the world's leader. You know, 40 billion Oreos produced. That's a consumer product. But when you're dealing with talent, that's different, right? And so... If I control or if I feel like I'm entitled to tell somebody what they need to be doing or they need to be doing it with, 
for me to have value. And then my focus is on what's in it for me. That could become a deterrent for anyone, especially for the talent. And, and, and one thing I, I pride myself on is always kind of thinking bigger than what was in, in front of me. And I think it's important for our talent to start thinking bigger as well, because as you climb the ladder of success, and that's not always money, when you talk about positioning, when you talk about just perception in a room, right? Sometimes the perception of someone allows them to be positioned in a room and have a place in a room, and they may not have necessarily a seat at the table. But if I'm in the room and I'm in the right room, conversations are had, information flows, and I'm educated and updated and privy to things that I normally wouldn't be. Yeah. That there's a ton of value in that. Off the back of that, I'm curious, like being in the room with Rich Paul for a pitch, right? To an athlete. We've seen him. There was a famous one that went viral on social media maybe a few months ago or even a couple of years ago at this point. It was John Calipari. He went in a player's living room and he's basically trying to recruit him to come to Kentucky. And he goes, look, you're going to go pro. I'm not here to keep you in college. I don't really care. I want you to be successful on my team. Here's how many players I've gotten to the NBA. This is why you should come play for me. I've seen the same stuff with Nick Saban and so forth. But your background is a little bit different, right? Which is people will read in the book that's coming out. Like you had a very rough upbringing. You came from a different set of standards. You didn't go to college. You obviously worked a few different jobs, working with LeBron and other people like that to start this agency. But it's a very competitive business, right? If you look at the top leaders in this space, coming in and starting a new agency is almost impossible in many regards. And just because you're attached to, or you know, you're working with another superstar athlete, that doesn't matter in most cases. How are you, I guess, one, earning the respect, but two, convincing athletes initially and also now to sign with you guys? I see it all the time and it's it's often said and it's unfortunate, but it's often said by people who are pretty, you know, I don't wanna, you know, downgrade anybody, but they're just not thinking it through, right? Because as you said, starting any business is hard to do. Yes, having the superstar athlete support you, allow you to represent them, et cetera. Yeah, it helps for that one player, but it doesn't guarantee you to build a business at all. And in this case, it actually could sometimes, depending on who, which family you're in front of, could work against you because people don't understand. If you're sitting in front of a family and they sit down and it don't matter who you have, or it's all about their son. I only want to talk about my son my son is the best. My son is better than anybody else. My son deserves this. My son deserves that. They're not going to be for me because it's going to be very hard to please that family, number one. And it's going to be very hard to represent that player because the noise that's going to come with representing him, you're never going to be able to do enough, right? Because there's a miseducation. Most people are miseducated on our business. I don't care what's on the internet. I don't care if contracts are slotted, you know, that has nothing to do with the education of our business. And just like anything else, people only focus on the money. And so that's what they say, well, the contract is slotted. I shouldn't have to pay this. Well, 
if you look at the rules, you only have to pay a certain amount anyway. So if, if I only have to pay 4% of the difference of last year's number one pick versus this year's number one pick, when you take the 4% of the difference, because you're only going off the increase, right? It's not a lot of money at all. But the fact that this person came and said, we're going to do it for free. It made your ego feel good. It made you feel good about that. And so that's what you decide to do because it's only about you. They made you feel like it's only about me and it's only about my son. But then you realize you're playing a team sport. So we're setting you up where it's only about you. And then you go to that training camp and you're playing a team sport. But you're playing it as it's only about you. What happens? You basically stunt the growth of your future and all the opportunities that lie within. That's why a lot of guys as top picks, they don't make it to the next contract. It's because of this behavior. It's because of this mentality going into a workplace. You should have played an individual sport in that case. But you didn't play the individual sport because you realize that then it's really all on me. And that's not the sport that, that seems to be cool or make me famous or whatever the case may be. And that's where the miseducation comes into play, Joe. But that's that what we just discussed right there. That's our battle. Now, I don't have a sale to answer your question. I don't have a sale. I don't like PowerPoints. I don't like because the reality of it is you go into a room and I show all these other players and we have them. We know we have decks. Every company does. But anybody will tell you, I don't love that. But you show all these other players. Everybody's situation is different. And the competition will say about my roster, oh, he got too many guys. He got this person. He got that person. He got this, blah, blah. But then they would say about their roster, we got the stars. We got this player. We got, well, you can't have it both ways. You get, you get what I'm saying? And say whatever you want. It's very easy to tell at each company, I don't know if you've ever done this, just by character alone, who's going to go to who and who's going to be represented by who. There's plenty of guys in the industry I'm not going to be able to represent because it's black and white with me. It's no gray. It's, it's, no, it's not necessarily a, you're the best thing since sliced bread. And when you watch Jerry Maguire, his character was to do any and every and say any and every. And, but that's what, that's what happened to our kids where they passed them along from the sixth to the seventh grade when they was reading on the third grade reading level. And then they passed them along all through high school when they probably should have been eligible because they were good basketball players. They played. And then they passed them along in college. And then now they get the big contract and they got everybody around them that's incapable of doing anything outside of telling them what they want to hear. And they make a lot of money for a short period of time and everybody around them does certain things to position themselves better, right? And however they can maneuver that, they do it and they make money for a short period of time and nobody's building anything. What's up, everyone? I want to take another quick break from today's episode to tell you to go sign up for the Huddle Up newsletter. This is a newsletter that I write three times a week. It's very similar to the podcast feed that you're already listening to, 
but most of the time it has a little bit more comprehensive of a breakdown. You can see the images and the graphs and the charts that I put in there also. So you should go sign up. I guarantee you're going to like it if you already like this podcast. It's at readhuddleup.com. Again, readhuddleup.com. You can go and sign up. There's more than 120,000 people that read it every single week, subscribers in 85 different countries, and some of the most influential people in the sports business world today. Make sure to read it three times a week. So go sign up, readhuddleup.com. I promise you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. We've seen this trend, Rich, of superstar athletes specifically, not using agents occasionally to negotiate contracts. And this is something that some of the public thinks is cool or interesting or really smart or genius because they save, you know, one to 3% call it in the NFL on a contract. What is the reason, right? I, I think I understand this to a large degree, but I would argue that most people probably don't. The reason why agents are important to superstar athletes specifically. Well, just to help you understand, any superstar athlete that's telling, that's saying that is not true, right? Even in Lamar Jackson's case, he may didn't use your typical agent, but he used it. The Players Association, who the unfortunate thing in the NFL, they can actually help the player, which is a whole nother conversation, but that's, you know, that's the NFL. But the point is, he used someone of expertise. He used someone of expertise, right? And experience and know-how in some capacity. Now, that, that was his choice. Whatever he felt like he saved or whatever the case may be, hey, the position I'm in right now, I got to pay my taxes. I have to pay for infrastructure, every piece of furniture, every this, every that. I have to pay, and I want best in class. That's just me. And it's another, it's a, it's a number of other people. But that's his choice. Lamar's a good dude. But even with all that being said, Lamar signed his contract post Jalen Hurts' contract. Jalen Hurts' contract was done with great detail, if you look at it, and it actually helped Lamar. Because if that's the case, then it would have been done months prior or a year prior. But it wasn't. So one more football player who decided to do that and again, DeAndre Hopkins and Laramie Tunzel both did it, I think. Yeah, but but even both of those, and we represent DeAndre Hopkins now. He actually has an agent, done his deal, Kelton Crenshaw, done his deal in, with the Titans. But even with the Tunzel case, he may not have had a typical agent. He had someone, and I, you know, I'll, I'll keep his business as discreet as possibly can while answering his question. He had someone of expertise representing him, talking to the team, he didn't do that. My my only issue with it all is the ego of it. Yeah. Like, hey, man, the president has a cabinet for a reason, right? Every CEO has infrastructure and a team in place for a reason. I think the unfortunate thing is society put the dumb jock perspective on the team, I mean, on the player. And so now most players, that's something that that is challenging to them. They don't want to be known as just the greatest football player or the greatest basketball player. And they shouldn't want to be known as just that. Yeah. But also, that don't mean you're the one actually doing the work. The smartest guy in the room is the one that knows what he don't know. 
I would also argue that there's a bunch of other things under the surface that many people may not be privy to, right? Like, for example, there's there's non-superstar players that agents specifically in the NFL and other leagues do a lot of work for, trying to get them endorsement deals, trying to get them training, trying to pay for things up and leading to the draft, things like that for sure. But even the superstar players, I mean, there's no trade clauses, there's player options, there's other things outside of just money. Well, there's there's structure, there's pay, there's those clauses that, that you named, there's, and again, people act like you're just negotiating a deal in July. Like, it's like, oh, free agent, the free agency restaurant open, let's all go in and eat. No, you don't negotiate a deal in July. Like, there's so many layers to a negotiation. There's so much posturing to a negotiation that the naked eye can't see. It's like walking into a jeweler and he's showing you three different diamonds. Most people walking into a jeweler, you know, they're they're probably very uneducated about this space. And the jewelers know that. The lighting in the jewelry store is for a reason. It is. And so it all, for me, it all boils down to the character of the individual. And I've learned over time, as much as you're evaluating me, I'm also evaluating you because I've been blessed to be in a position where I can be ultra selective and also decide who you want to work with. Because for no amount of money, you just can't be wanting to work a thankless job. And I think that our industry has never really seen that before because that's not what agents do and it's not who they are. An agent that represents an old shoot as one of my former partners and, and also someone who was somewhat of a mentor to me that I learned a lot through would always say an agent would definitely represent an old shoot. Like you have to have some type of dignity about yourself in this industry. And most people, you know, when it's black and it has on a nice leather jacket and it sits courtside, that's arrogant, right? That's the unfortunate thing too, Joe. It's not arrogance. Say what you want. We all have to have some sort of ego. We all have to have some sort of confidence. But more importantly, it's just you have dignity within yourself. That at least for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but at least for me. And I don't look, I tip my hat to all those guys. Anybody can decide what they want to do. It's not up to me to decide what someone else have to do. The one thing I would hope for and I would ask, I mean, that I would want as far as the industry as a whole is how you treat people matters. And you can tell based upon just if you just look at the detail of an individual, it gives you all the answers. It's not multiple choice here. All the answers are basically, you know how you do a word problem? The answer lies within the word wording of that problem. It's the same way when you're dealing with talent. And John Calipari, he left something out. And the one thing he left out was nine times out of 10, these kids had pro-level talent when they got there. Now, the real judgment of any college coach is how a player was developed and how better they got while being there. And again, this is something that I'm very adamant about. And I think that 
especially in basketball, there's very few guys that's doing this at a high level, but you got to be very careful as an athlete, especially today. It's important because I've had guys get put in position that they came out worse than how they went in, unfortunately. And, you know, all, there's a lot of great institutions out there, but most of these kids, when they get to college, they have a pro skill set. They're considered pros, especially the top schools like that. But there's so much that needs to be worked on to actually become a pro and maintain being a pro that doesn't include your talent. And that's what people don't understand. And that's what we take pride in. Yeah. Rich, what's your long-term, we'll call it dream, right? Like, I look at you, you started You started this agency. I don't dream much. No, I know, but look, you got to have goals, right? I know people like you. You start this agency, yeah. you build this big business, you're doing a bunch of other things too, from the, the workout clothing brand that you're building now, you're on a bunch of boards, you're investing, you're building these other enterprises. Yeah. Well, what's like the one thing that you look at and you're like, like most people in your position, maybe it's owning an NBA team, right? Is there something that you look at and that's like your your North Star? It's definitely not owning an NBA team for me. I think owning the NBA team, if you sit with all the owners and talk to them. They're getting expensive these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have enough money to own the NBA team. Not something that I, I set out to do. I think people, they loop you in with what LeBron obviously wants to do. And I understand that. And great. I would love for him to own a team. And, and you know. I can help him just like I help anyone else uh, for that matter. And, and I think ultimately for me, it's just always been about managing my transitions, man. I never put a ceiling on my capabilities or how far I could go. I think you named some things that's very important to me. I just wanted to continue to be an example. One thing I noticed when I first got into business especially with the African-American agents, none of them was really forthgiving. None of them picked up the phone and said, hey, man, you know, you're in this business now. Let me let me help you a little bit. Let me show you, you know, because they're all so fucking greedy. What do you mean by that? None of them really tried to, to help. And not that I was expecting it, because I come from an environment to where you know, you get it done, how you get it done, right? When I called on, and I, and I got to I gotta pay homage to this person because he was great for me. When I called on Mark Termini, he hadn't had the best business, but we had success together, and he was great for me at that time in my, in my career. And I was appreciative of that. But because I come from a place where the nourishment is given, the education is given, and a lot of the education came through experience where you learn and you kind of got a slap on the wrist of what to do and what not to do in the streets that I came up from. When you read the book, as you're reading it now, lucky me, it, it gives you all of this insight. And so now when I get to this industry and I'm looking at the players within and I'm looking at the people that I know I'm not getting any help from the establishment. I know that's not going to happen. But I'm looking at these guys like, wow. And that's what really made me set off in my mind. Like, I see a white space in this business. I see a lack thereof, a number of things just as men. 
and I'm going to fill that void. And that was my motivation. And so today, being in the position I'm in, I'm focused as if I had no players, right? But it's a different outlook on it. When I came in, I had every negative article written about me. You know, the former place that I left from, things was written, planted, all these different type of things. There were people having meetings with families and discouraging them and He's a little kid and this and that. There was all these type of things said, which again, when you read the book, I was very used to this because I grew up in the concrete jungle. So this was, this is actually my comfort zone. But, but I also had within that concrete jungle, I had people that actually cared for me, for my well-being, and saved my life or some instances. And when they saw you doing something that they knew could get you killed or they knew could get your freedom taken away from you, when they saw you being very careless in that position, they straightened you out. And so I had to learn to not to expect things from people in a, in a very nice kind of way, right? Because this industry is different from where I came from. Again, when I talked about there's just no consequences for certain, we call it slept rock things that's, that's done in this industry. And so I had a different perspective on it. And, and today I sit here and I, you know, I look at what we've been able to build and how we want to position ourselves. And look, we've done great and we got so far to go just in representation. But I want to continue to focus on the verticals of the company, focus on building things out. Every day today I get up, Joe, I look to buy businesses. That's part of my every morning. I think about what could we buy? Who could we align ourselves with? Part of my reasoning for partnering with UTA was I wanted to expand the resources and the relationships and, and, and understand the importance of scaling. You know, that's one thing people don't understand when you build a business. You have to understand how to scale properly. And what I, what I set out to do and what we've been able to do since 2012, it's even more difficult to do now because private equity has gotten in on the ground floor. So now these, someone can't even get an opportunity to build how, how we were able to build. And so I understand all these things, but my business acumen has grown. My mindset has changed for the better. I'm much more than just an agent. And I look at the athletes as much more than just talent. And I really don't see competition in that regard, right? Because I talk to all of the decision makers of most of the companies in our space, and I'm talking to them not because we're competing for a player. Like, that's not the focus. I'm talking to them with a different perspective and a different perception and a different point of view on what I'm trying to do and what they're trying to do and what the industry looks like going forward, which is totally different than me looking at a mock draft trying to decide who I'm going to go after, like, you know, I hate mock drafts, by the way. I think they all. <laughs> you you talked about uh, your day to day for a second, like what you're doing a little bit on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how that has evolved over time. I imagine at first you were doing a lot of that, which was trying to figure out athletes to go after, trying to sign people. Now yeah. you have a bunch of agents underneath yeah. you working for you. How has that changed, kind of the dynamic day to day for you? You know, I I think about that all the time. It's definitely been a major change. You know, I used to I used to watch every sports show. Now I don't even watch them like that, you know. 
since Shannon left Undisputed, I definitely don't watch that. I catch a couple takes here and there of, of shows, but like I don't I don't even watch them. Like every day. I used to again have a thousand different people calling me about this kid or that kid or whatever. And I thank God for those drive runs I made, right? I remember I was recruiting a kid and I used to have to fly to this Midwest town and the whole while they kind of stringing you along and, and you know, I had a lot of dry runs, man. I, you know, I had promises made and yeah, we're coming with you and it ends up going a different way. I had people tell me that, you know, we can't come with you because of you got too many players or you got someone that, that how you gonna market this person? It was just so many different things. And I didn't let it discourage me. And I, I'm appreciative of that because it was much less to do. Now today, I'm wearing several different hats. Obviously, I'm still checking on my guys' media day. It's the first day of training camp. You know, you have to deal with staff and we have weekly meetings and bi-weekly meetings with different department heads, different staff members, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, I still love the game of basketball. Still, You still love the game of football. I have kids, you know, I have a dating life. And then ultimately me being the co-head of sports at UTA Sports. Now that's a whole different initiative separate from Clutch Sports Group where, you know, we're looking at obviously how to integrate, how to continue to scale properly, how to continue to be a better representation business, what other companies you want to be aligned with, what other sports you want to get into. And then there's another initiative that coincides and aligns with what we're doing at the Clutch Sports Group and that's even bigger mindset of just the ecosystem of sport and what areas we can get into and what businesses we can buy there. And like you said, going from a kid who barely seen his mom growing up, right, to being on the board of Live Nation, being on the board of UTA, being on the board of Lackmore, being on the board of designer brands, you know, it's like it's un fucking believable to be sitting in this position and I'm, I'm extremely blessed I'm not satisfied but I'm extremely blessed but at the same time it's disheartening that I have to go out when I am recruiting and sometimes when I'm joining some staff because we do everything as a team it's not just me and your question over and over and over again and it's like, okay, well, you'll question me and I have the receipts. But you allow them to tell you what to do. And it's been cookie cutter from day one. It's mind boggling. And I understand that Cam and Mace got the show. It is what it is. You know, and so that and so I always, I always tend to go back to my roots. And my roots, as you read the book. It's 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 no hose barred, man. It's, it's it is what it is, and I you know, and I try to prepare myself every day for that and having that mentality. And that's who I am at my core. And there's no limit. Look, you may look up and you know, Clutch Athletics, our Clutch Apparel business is totally separate from Clutch Sports Group. It don't have anything to do with each other. The fact that I, that a brand was able to be developed outside of a company and its original existence and have a cultural relevance and connectivity in the marketplace to
to create a vertical of consumer products that's authentic to the athlete speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. And to partner and having a vision to see where New Balance as a company was then, where it's going, where it's at now, and have the ability to partner with them again, blessed again. Talk about the book. Hey, lucky me. You know, and, and, and so, but again, that lucky me is sarcastic because this is something that I envisioned and manifested and worked on for years and built relationships for it to even come to, to this, this position. And that's a big focus of mine, building that business. I try to help people understand supporting a business supports you because today this is a small business within a business. Tomorrow, it's as big as Amazon and the opportunity coming from someone who grew up just like you and who looks just like you lies within, right? That support system. We don't see that. And then you wonder why you don't really have opportunities because you're not supporting businesses that can understand you and your place. And they're not coming from a place of judgment. They're coming from a place of opportunity for you. Right. And so I just hope people over time really get better at thinking things through and having a very holistic approach. Whether it was intentional or not, I always saw your kind of rise to power within within the agency world and sports as like a shift of, of the player empowerment that we've seen over the last few years. Right. And this is you can look at this a million different ways, whether you want to look at like players jockeying for position among teams and switching teams. You could look at it like what LeBron has built. I mean, this guy has a legitimate enterprise beneath him now, varying a bunch of different things and investments and elsewhere. But one of the most extreme examples of this is you negotiated a contract a few years ago for a high school student at the time, Darius Baisley, to leave high school, not go to college and do an internship at New Balance. He was going to train. He was going to get paid for the internship, I believe. And he was going to learn real skills, right, of, of the shoe business and everything like that. The NCAA came out right after that and implemented what many people called the Rich Paul rule, which was that agents now had to have a bachelor's degree or graduate college to represent NCAA student athletes. You wrote an article essentially saying, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. Here's why. The rule got taken down a week later. Is that like changing. Like that was only a couple of years ago. It seems crazy to think that that would have popped up just two, three years ago. Has that officially changed or is that still going on? First of all, that, that expedited NIL. That, th I would consider that a threat to the establishment, right? What we were talking about previously. It's a major threat. They've foreseen that. But for me, I wasn't trying to do something that was this out of the box thing. I was just trying to do what was best for that, for the athlete. I knew if he went to Syracuse, he's putting his future in the hands of somebody that maybe they care for him, maybe they don't. Our kids, they, they, they don't have enough opportunity in life for them to take that risk. That's a risk to be taken, right? And so I didn't like how that looked. And I knew that at the time, the G League wasn't where it's at. So I didn't like that look. And when I spoke to New Balance about it, they actually were like, that makes sense. You know, that let us think about that. I spoke to another company about it and they were so worried about what another agent was going to think. And they're like, 
Okay, they, they're not even seeing it. But yeah, no, that was that was a game changer for sure. And now NIL has become a gift and a curse. In a lot of ways, it saturated the ecosystem, right? At the same time, it's given opportunity for, for, for people to, to make money. So how could you have a negative outlook on it? Well, it depends on what lens you look out from, right? And so now, how does it affect our business? Well, a lot of it is a slippery slope because the families are saying NIL and they, and they think at NIL, we can make all this money. But the reality of it is, where's the money for you to make, right? I just saw, I think it was Common doing a, I forgot what commercial it was. And I try to help parents understand the budgets from these brands are being allocated to people that engage on social media that has a following that that had built something and is recognizable to align the branch with nobody don't really know your son like that and so you have to be realistic with your approach for us nil is really about a foundation of education and 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 also protecting your name image and likeness building upon that the right way, understanding the difference between a partnership and an endorsement, understanding the difference between each category. That if I if I do something in this category, it might lock me out of this category going forward based upon what I actually did and and, and how they're able to use my my name, image, and likeness, and in what capacity that they're they're able to use it. And so you got to be very careful with that. But they should also talk to the agents because we know like they. The agent perception used to be nobody wants to do this job. It's looks shady. It's, it's kind of low key. I made it, and I'm not ashamed to say it. And many people say you screwed it up, Rich. But I made it glamorous, and I made it cool, and I made it. And I'm proud of that because someone who come from where I come from and look like me, who don't have many options in front of them, great. Strive to be an agent be a great agent, learn the business, et cetera, go and work at other places, go and work at restaurants, foot lockers, and all this different stuff where you have to service people because ultimately you're in the service business. It's interesting to see where things are at now, but yes, that Darius Basie deal definitely expedited NIL. That's the thing, man. Like I just, you know, we, we, we try to always do what's best for the athlete. And sometimes it takes thinking outside the box but it came from a place of just doing what was best for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you about this stuff all day. The NIL stuff is is particularly interesting because I think you're right where things are going to have to change it at one point or another. There's, you know, there was a player for the Chicago Bears the other day that signed a deal that basically gave away a percentage of his lifetime career earnings. Right. I and like, saw that. that's the type of stuff where, you know, maybe he had someone look at the deal or not, but a lot of people would have educated him on like, Hey, here's the breakdown on exactly what this is going to cost. Well, that's well, that's why you actually, again, this is going to sound self-serving, but it's not. Not, and I'm not even saying it has to be us. Having a relationship with an agent, a reputable agent, sooner rather than later, actually works. Because if I'm able to make money, I need to be represented. Most families are saying, "Well, it's nil money. We don't want to pay you for that." We don't. It's like. Why would you take a shortcut on your 
protection. It's it's just the weirdest thing. It 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 really is. But you will go and lease a car and can barely make the payments and screw your credit up. It's such a backwards thing. I used to watch my dad at his store. Man, I used to sell and this illegal, but we did it and it is what it is. But I used to sell single cigarettes. Like, that helped me understand, okay, a Newport costs you 25 cents. A Monarch costs you 15 cents. We were stretching that to get a larger margin on the pack of cigarettes. But what it took me to understand is everybody don't have enough money to buy a pack. They'll buy a single. If they smoke the amount that comes in the pack one at a time, they actually spent more money. They should just buy the pack. You know what I'm saying? Some of this stuff is just common sense. But people make it harder than what it have to be, especially when you're dealing with talent. When you're selling consumer products, it's a different dynamic. You don't, you're not dealing with an individual. It's, 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 it's a different thing. And so everything I learned by just being around, riding my bike, working, work, playing people's numbers, running the cash register, stocking the, the, the coolers. Man, I learned. I could have went to Harvard, Stanford, Penn, all together, and I wouldn't have got this education that I got. It's unbelievable. Rich, did I hear a story that that basically that whole relationship, when it started, he was like, hey, we're friends. You're going to do something with me. You're going to be like, you know, working with me in some capacity. I don't really know what that is yet. And then you essentially were like, it started out party planning, designing, doing all the, you know, being a designer, whatever it was. And then it turned into, okay, I love shoes. I can help out with Nike. Then I want to be an agent. Let me go learn the ropes at CAA or wherever. And then let me start my own agency. And like you built this whole thing outside of that relationship. That was just the foundation. Yeah. Well, it's, here's the thing. So when he told me this, when, when I got the check in the mail, I didn't know what my job description was. So I called him and he said, I don't have nothing for you to do. I don't have a title per se. I just want you around me. We'll figure it out, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so I started out as a stylist. I was just, you know, I love to dress. That's what I was known for in my neighborhood, being the fly guy. And I, you know, I was buying these high priced clothes. You know, if I had $700 and I was 13 years old, I didn't mind spending the whole 700 on one item. Back then, I didn't mind that, you know, and anybody in my neighborhood would tell you he's not lying. He definitely would do that. And then so I I had this confidence in dressing so I can dress him, you know, Mason's Air Force One, showing how to do this, showing how to do that. It's great. Cool. Then the jewelry stuff. I've been buying jewelry since I was in the seventh, eighth grade. So I knew that. So when we met the jeweler, I'm like, man, let me see your loot. And he's like. Damn, this kid asking to see my loot. And I'm asking about the GIA certifications and it's just an SI1 versus SI2 and, you know, what color, what, you know, all these different things. And, it, and then and LeBron's like, shit, like Rich knows all the, you know, so, and I would educate him on that stuff. The jeweler probably changed the price on the spot. He's like, I can't get away with what I was going to charge. Yeah. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. And then when we got into those Nike meetings, again, and I know when I say this type of stuff, people just like, this guy got to be telling a lie, but I'm not. I'm, this is what I was known for. There wasn't a popular shoe that was made that I didn't have. You know, I didn't buy the Grand Hill feeling, no offense to Grand Hill. That just wasn't my steez. But I rocked a shell top. That was classic. 
I rocked the tree torn. I rocked the K-Swiss. I had every Nike. I rocked it. I remember when Reeboks first hit, had them. Didn't buy the pump, but I bought the other. I just had this, this ability, and I had this vision. I used to dream of dressing a certain way and put this with that and why. This had to go with this. And I used to just, I gave all that away. I just gave it away. Like, this is how it has to go. And so in those meetings, I was able to talk about, they wanted to make a black shoe, right? And they wanted to make it in all leather. And I'm like, but the best shoes you ever made, when you made them in black, they come in suede. Why? Because it gives a different look. If you make it in leather, it's going to be a boot. The only thing they made in leather that was black was the Bo Jackson. And they got away with that. It was a cross trainer. Okay, that was fine. Everything else was suede. The Agassi, the Griffey, the Dion, the Jordan, you name them. They were the Barkley, all suede, right? And so I was a historian in this space. So when I'm in the room and it's Phil Knight and it's Lynn Mary and it's Charlie Dixon, it's Craig Zanet, and it's all the, you know, the, you know, Trevor and all these different people in these rooms. They like, holy shit, Rich knows, Rich definitely knows this stuff. And that led to an opportunity with Nike. When I went on to work at the other agency, that came from a place of, okay, they came after us at LRMR first. We didn't want to give up what we were doing. And so at the time, LeBron, you know, he had, representation wasn't me he had representation but the money was being made off the court back then the contract was small compared to the money that was being made off the court so we started a marketing company first and foremost and then I was asked after his current agent at that time was introduced Maverick actually introduced LeBron's agent at the time to Richard Lovett with CAA and so then I was asked to come and help out. There was, you know, there was a lot of things moving around. And, and then there was an opportunity for me to come and help out. And that's what I did. I'm not trolling, but the reason why I always say I didn't learn anything is because the people who were asking me to come and help out, they were asking me to come and help out based upon who I was aligned with. They wasn't asking me to come and help out because they wanted to see me grow and they wanted to develop me and they wanted to, that wasn't the case. And back then, nobody was thinking this way and nobody would, would have ever thought that I would be in the position I was in. So ultimately, once that well was dry, it would have been over for me, right? Or once they were, they were able to suck up all the perception and the power, and that's how they got fooled because they thought like we were or I was at least controlled by somebody. And they're like, no, wait a minute. What? You don't control that person? Like, Hell no. Nobody controls me. That sounds crazy. So this was the idea. And I performed very well. But it's not like I was doing this using the resources that was being given to me. The players are already signed pretty much and committed prior to. Johnny Flynn was committed prior to. Tristan Thompson was committed prior to Eric Blesso, Corey Joseph. Those four guys were committed to me without ever seeing an office. And so when I had my issues and I felt like I wasn't being heard, 
And it really wasn't an issue, you know, it was Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Like, I think Michael Kidd Gilchrist is one of the best guys ever. I'm thankful for him because, because he chose to train with me in Cleveland. There was people that got upset at that and showed their hand. And when I seen that, I was like, okay, great. So it wasn't this, I didn't have this thing planned out. It wasn't like, like some scheme or me and LeBron was scheming this up. LeBron didn't even know half the shit that was going on or what, what my plans were. He just would see me from time to time upset and ask me what was going on. And then, you know, when I decided I was leaving, he decided he was leaving. But it wasn't this thing like, oh, they planned this all along or we knew this was going to happen. So, we, no, nobody didn't know anything. Rich, you got to stick to the script, man. LeBron owns a huge chunk of it. And when he retires, he's going to take <laughs> over and he's going to do the whole thing, man. You got to you gotta listen to what people are saying out there. That used to bother me. But then I'm like, you know what? It's, it's expected now. You, what's not expected is for people to, to be thorough. Yeah. You know, to be, it's just not, you know, you just can't expect that from people. Well, Rich, I appreciate your time. You've taken uh, an hour with me here today. I got one more question for you. I run this group on Microsoft Teams of people who listen to the podcast and, and read the newsletter. So I always ask before I interview someone for questions, and I usually pick one and I ask on the podcast. So someone named Jack Holbrook wants to ask, and this actually vibes a lot with, with kind of my history too. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a sports agent, right? People like you out there making it sexy and making it seem cool and this whole deal. And I, I'm not kidding you. I probably emailed, direct messaged, DM, you know, tweet, tweeted at all these people hundreds of people, thousands of people. And it's like a really, really tough business to get your foot in the door. You either got to know someone, you got to break down the door, build it yourself. Like there's a few different ways, but those are the only ways. And his question revolved around like, if you had to go back and you were 20 years old and you wanted to get into this business, what would you do? Like someone in your seat today, obviously you took a unique path, but someone in your seat today, like what are you looking for, for young kids to do, 20 year olds that are coming out of college that want to get into this business? If I could... I would tell a kid, be a manager of a basketball team at a high level, any basketball team in terms of college basketball team. If, you, if you're not able to play, I would, I would definitely do that, have some, some space in that. I would also work in the service industry. I'm not saying, you know, I would work in the restaurant business. I know this sounds crazy. I would work as an assistant. I would, anything where I have to service people. Take care of someone. Yeah. Yeah. You have to start to train your mind to understand that when you are an agent, your life basically is other people's lives. This is the deal you make. And that's important. So you have to learn the athlete, how they think. You have to learn the service industry, how that works. You can study contracts, but at the same time, Every situation is different. So people would just say, oh, I just got this contract off the internet. Well, that's happened to me several times. You know, a lot of agents, you know, look at, look at my, my contracts. And unfortunately, our union allows there to be the United Nations of agents and portals and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of tough. You know, they know I've talked to them about this before. I just don't think that anybody's work practice should be shared. But I understand why it's done. But. Hopefully that changes. But anyway, you can study contracts. You can study people's tendencies and stuff like that. But ultimately, you got to feel your way through this business. Yeah, right. 
being able to evaluate talent, being able to evaluate character. So I don't know if it's one particular thing I would do, Joe. Obviously, if you can, if, if you can work at a sports agency at the look, I don't care what the entry is. Do it. Entry level, do it, right? Because it's actually, I'm glad I came up the way I did because at my core, especially when I have my agent hat on, at my core, there's nothing that I won't do or that I feel too accomplished to do. Literally nothing. I don't have any pride as pertains to that. Rebound, take this gym bag, you know, pick up the kids from school if that's what I have to do for a client, whatever. It, that don't matter. At my height, I've understood how to work a little smarter, you know, how to get out of a situation that, you know, you're going to be going down this path and somebody can take you alongside them for three years. And now you spent all this money traveling, courting, doing all this stuff, and it's going, it's going nowhere. You got to be okay with just letting up and being like, okay, that, that one's not for me. But what I would say is any of those things I just named, if you can get into any of those doors just to start, do it. You know, and I tell kids, I tell people, every summer they guys, I stop and I try to talk to any and everybody that, that pulls me to the side and just want a couple of minutes with me. You know, I, I actually like doing that. But I just think it's important when you talk about this stuff with them because they just need to have an understanding of something, right? And I understand how I'm perceived or whatnot, and I appreciate that. And so I try to give it back as much as I can, and I want to give it away. I don't even, there's no charge to it. I want to give it away. Any one of those things makes sense for you to be a part of and then, you know, kind of manage the transition from there. I love that. You are giving it away right here. Giving it away, yeah. You are giving it away. For anyone that's listening to this podcast, it's going to come out on Wednesday, October 11th. The book is going to be live at that point. It's called Lucky Me. It's a memoir of his life. It talks about childhood, how he got to where he is, some of the struggles that he's been through, perseverance, success, luck, how all that plays into his story. Decision-making is a big part of that book. You know, There's yeah. a lot of things that transpire that if I made a certain position, certain decision, I probably won't be sitting here today. And I, I wanted to include all those things in that book because we're humans, man. People go through things. People make decisions. People do things. People do what they have to do or what they feel they have to do to survive. But that don't mean that you have to stay there. And I wanted people to understand, you know, a lot of people strive to be Rich Paul, the one they see today. And, you know, you have these companies that are, it used to be, you didn't want a black agent. We can't hire a person. Now they're looking, now it's a cool thing to have, right? So they're looking for the young black guy in the leather jacket that they can compete with Rich Paul, per se. I get it. But it's very difficult to be me today without being that guy on the cover of that book first, right? Yeah, I mean, even even the cigarette story, right? Like- that, all that stuff goes into it. It's yeah. like all those things, those stories, those things you went through play some part, whether it's big or small in your life. Play a major today. part. Major part. But this was fun, Joe. I got I like to do this, man. I think um, I always follow you and, and, and you know, you, you, you put some great stuff out there. We talk kind of behind the scenes a little bit and, you know, you, you're doing a great job, man. So thanks for having me on. This was great. I appreciate it, Rich. Thanks so much for doing this. Okay. 
Thank you.